Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Norma. And we're Black Girls with Accents. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So we hope you enjoyed our episode on QTs. Uh, very controversial. Um, we had a great time recording that episode and we uh, look forward to hearing what some of you might have to say about that. So, you know, we use this platform as a way, Norma and I, as a way to not only reflect back on our heritage, our um, respective ancestries as black women. Um, we also use it to reflect on growing up as black women in Europe. Um, and part of our discussions, especially with everything that's going on politically these days, uh, part of our discussions do touch on history. Uh, history, not as it pertains to us individually, but the histories of the nations, the colonized nations under which we were, or our parents were born, and how that transfers to us and our conceptions of self and identity and how we think about growing up as the children of the colonizer um, today, right? With the recognition of some of the things that we didn't know, things that now mm -hmm. make more sense, things that incense us today, things that our parents don't talk about or try to talk about. So in light of all of that, we decided that it would make sense not just to merely reflect, but to bring in some experts, people who actually really do know what they're talking about. And a couple of months ago, the image of the Gorka came across on um, Instagram or some social media site. And we had spoken about Black Pete and um, Noddy and these iconic representations of blackness, which are offensive and, you know, baked into colonialism and supremacy and culture, etc. And so Norma told me about someone that she really respects and admires for the kind of work that she's doing currently to kind of re-educate. It's exactly the kind of work that the president of the US uh, disdains, this kind of cultural shift, um, this encouragement to think differently. And so Norma reached out and our guest graciously said yes. I would like to introduce you to Simone Zavag, who's going to talk about a number of things as it pertains to history and the ways history are documented and pushing back against um, certain representations and museums and, and the like. So welcome. And if we had a, a applause button, we would press it for you, but we'll make the noise and clap for you. Yay. Welcome. Yay, welcome, welcome. Yes so much for the invitation and for that amazing introduction and for beautifully pronouncing my name. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yes, Simone. I um, like I get to say Fawaka on my own podcast. I get to speak to him for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so it, it was such a I really felt aligned, like finding your work. Um I know I found Simone through my cousin Saudi, uh, who does uh, Afro Dutch studies. Of course, um, he does a lecture in Amsterdam at the Sandberg Institute. He did one together with you, right, Simone? Mm -hmm. And he's one of my closest he... friends. And he told me about your podcast. And he said the oh, name of the podcast. I was like, this is fantastic. Thank you. And so it was. Um, 
um, Tracy, when Tracy showed me the gawker, which is that image of the apotheker for us, like on, and it's an image that I've seen in Amsterdam all my life. It's the the kind of more of like look with his tongue sticking out, sticking out with a with a pill on it, mm-hmm. and um, it was coming down. And what I often have in these moments is that I realize that the, like while being a child or while being in Amsterdam and growing up, um, it didn't mean anything to me. It, it didn't cross my mind that it, it was, it was um, doing something negative towards black people or my own kind. And so, um, and then looked up your work and then I saw what you were doing and also with the street names, but I'll go a little bit back to the beginning. Tell us a bit what it means to decolonize knowledge knowledge institutes and such as museums and universities like tell us what that work is about well i think the decolonization of knowledge institutes it's basically about stripping them of their eurocentric gaze and the normalizations that are rooted in colonial mentalities Mm. so it's this multi-layered process it demands attention for the way information is produced or reproduced um it demands attention for who was part of the staff who was on board so not just, you know, who's hanging in these institutions, but also like who's in positions of power. Um, it demands attention for different forms of accessibility. So it's this whole spectrum of uh, basically justice and liberation um, for people who have yeah. denied it, who've been denied it for so long. Um, and in my work, I usually focus on text and the choices that institutions make with regards to what information they center and what they leave out. Uh, so, for example, mm. the Netherlands had... Um, colonized many nations. Me, myself, I'm from Suriname, just as you are, Norma. Um, mm-hmm. so then whenever people tell the story of Suriname, they say, for example, in a museum, uh, they say, uh, Suriname got its independence in 1975. Uh, but did we get our independence or was there a liberation movement? And yeah. when people say, oh, you know, slavery was abolished. Um, yes, was it abolished because the colonizer woke up with a sense of humanity and decided that black people were no longer property? Um, or did black people fight for their liberation? Um, so yeah. it's just, in the sense, there's always this narrative of saying it either magically happened or it happened because Dutch people wanted it to happen. Um, yes. Um, so it's a matter of erasure. It's a matter of erasure of intellectual labor, of physical labor, of people losing their lives for freedom. And mm-hmm. uh, so with my work, I usually focus on like recentering those stories and recentering my people. Basically. That's amazing. Can you speak to what this means on both sides of the aisle? Meaning, so on one hand, you work to engage in a process of, like, I will say, unlearning, right? Or relearning. Mm-hmm. But that has to happen both on the Dutch side as well as on the Suriname side, right? So can you speak to, mm-hmm. I know that your work is primarily happening on one side but can you speak to what has to happen to put this in harmony so that the, so that there's one narrative well not one narrative obviously but there is a a central narrative that that serves to um kind of bring in those post-colonial voices mm. well i was born and raised in the netherlands so i don't feel um quick enough to, to speak about like the decolonial movement in Suriname. but i can say something for the diaspora here like the black diaspora um, I feel like what will bring us harmony is understanding how long we've been demanding justice. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my generation and generation after me, we often feel like we are the first to start something. 
Um, so then when somebody yes. counters you and says, well, you know, it takes time. These things take time. Changing a street name takes time. Like it, even if it would take time, my people have been demanding this for a very long time. So time has been had. Um, right. And I feel like that would bring us so much peace and so much pride in the work that we're doing. Right. Um, and on the other side, it also demands, it, it exact, let me say it would demand, let me say that it would, and it, it maybe doesn't, but it would demand a certain level of um, decentering yourself from the narrative. So who, who, who deserves this waiting, basically? Right. Yeah. Right. And some accountability, too, if I listen to exactly. what you're saying. Like, take some, some accountability. Yeah. yeah. And also an understanding of your history. So a few days ago on September 29th, um, we celebrated that uh, 31 years ago, uh, the director of the, the theater where I work, Anastina Convalius, she was part of an action group that um, got us in the Belmar, like, like the historically black neighborhood. They made sure that they renamed one of the squares after a Sudanese freedom fighter. So we're talking about 31 years ago that people were fighting for um, decolonial street names, decolonial squares. So this isn't something that we thought of overnight and now we have to wait our turn. And they also didn't get it overnight. So they were also fighting for years. Yeah. And I feel like it was, uh, I think part of the colonization is also reflecting on timelines. Mm. None of us have to wait anymore. Right. We've been doing this. We've been demanding this. We've been patient. Right. Very. Yeah, very patient. I, I actually, I think I saw, can you say the name? Because I think I saw the unveiling of it. I think my dad sent it to me. Um, the renaming of the square. It was it um, after a certain female. Uh, no. I, was it? Do um, you mean something recently? Because that I was on. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, I was going to answer you and say, yeah, it was. Um, I think I want to say maybe a week ago or so. My dad uh, sent me a little clip of an unveiling of a renaming of a. Um, um, street name and it also yes. had like a, a plaque with a but I'm blanking on the surname lady's name so I, if you knew it I wanted you to mention it yeah yeah I know her so a week ago it was the street was named after her longer um, her name is Dr. Sophie Redmond yes and she was Surinamese doctor playwright politician uh, like this legendary Surinamese woman and they named the street after her in Belmar a while ago but now they um, they put up a picture of her picture yeah. of her and, and a short biography of who she is and what she did and uh, yeah so that it, it was good if you walk mm. there now you actually know who Sophie Redmond was yes if you didn't know already yeah and it's it, when I saw her name or uh, when my dad sent me the clip I recognized it but I could not pin to it what it was that I knew about mm. her so I thought it was I'm, I'm starting taking all these notes of like I ordered um Anton de Con, um by Slava von Suriname, the book, yeah. because mm -hmm. I realized that I've never properly read it. I kind of just know bits and pieces. Um, yeah. There was no, um, there was just no, none of my classes while going to school in the Netherlands had anything to do with uh, slavery in Suriname. Um, mm -hmm. To be honest, I realized that the Dutch had a lot to do with slavery after I moved to the U.S., so getting mm. information from my friends here and saying, like, the Dutch started. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. especially because people know me. I'm like, oh, my God, you're from Amsterdam. Blah, blah. It seems like we are good news wherever we go. Um, and so <laughs> so more and more, like, hearing what actually went on, um, 
then I, I I did read Cynthia McLeod's, but that's fiction, and I still feel like I love her work. And but it's 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 softer because it's fiction. It's it's not mm -hmm. as as like if we go and read actual documents of some occasions, I'm sure that's going to be more bloody and more um, intense. That you realize like wait, this happened to like my country, and mm -hmm. I was that I was I was still born there. I'm the last uh, from my household to be that I was born there. Um, and then there's an Instagram account called Know Your Caribbean. And then mm -hmm. more and more, I would see things about Suriname that I was like, wait, what? And so I've, I've um, that's kind of where Tracy and I also started talking. And I said, I, I feel like I cannot speak on what the people are doing in the, in the Netherlands that much anymore because of the years that I haven't lived there. And I mm -hmm. just seem so behind in like my own um, knowledge of like, about a lot of the history that went down. So that's another reason why I really um, appreciate your like your your knowledge on on these on these topics. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, the book that you referred to um, by Anton Okomi, you said like by Slaven van Suriname, and in English you would say um, we slaves of Suriname, and it's mm -hmm. one of those. Uh, I think it was published in like 1934 for the first time. Um, in a guerrilla firm because it was illegalized, the book. And it's one of the first books, at least, I wrote, I, I read about Suriname. Um, mm. That gave a proper depiction on what the horrors of slavery actually were. So as you said, yes. if you read, like, maybe a fictionalized book, it's it's softer, exactly what you said, it's a softer book. Um, yes. But Us Slaves of Suriname, it just goes in. It tells you about the punishment people had, um, about the cruelty of the colonizers. And I remember this... There's one, um, there's one piece where he, he writes about how Dutch people couldn't really uh, handle the land, so they didn't know how to plant their crops or anything else. And because they couldn't, they ravished the plantations uh, of, like, not the plantations, they ravished the lands of the black people who could. And they basically said, you know, if we're not having any crops, you are not having any crops. So we would rather have it that nobody can plant on these lands than if only you know how to master these grounds. So the level of cruelty and also like the yeah. cruelty and the punishment. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's horrific. Oh my God. I, I And I was also an adult when I realized, now I know how to speak Suriname and I can, I can hear, um, I can understand when it's spoken to me. I still, I mm. speak on a, not so, I can't speak it fast, but I can understand everything that's being said. Still, it took me, like being an adult, to realize that our children's song, Fayasitong, No Bromiso, mm -hmm. that it was about slavery and about not being burned, that the, because basically a sentence in the song, Tracy, is that I don't want the master to burn me with coal. Mm. But it's it's like you know how ring around the rose. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like that type of song, and we we used to like play it in, as a game. And but I don't know why it just didn't click until I was uh, in my mid twenties, and I was like, wait, what do they say in this song? Mm -hmm. And it was like, um, um, yeah, master because Janssen Jensen is like a, a a name we have a lot, which is Jan's son. You know, like how they make. And it's basically saying we don't want Mr. Jansen to burn people's children. And I was like, this is a horrible song. <laughs> like, like, yeah. It's a great example, though, of how how this stuff gets baked into our DNA, right? How it's interconnected in our lives in a way that parents aren't saying, don't sing that song, right? I remember when I was younger, I don't know, it's probably an older sibling saying, like, playing cowboys and Indians. An older sibling mm. saying, 
you know, making a comment about not playing it. I didn't understand. They didn't go through the whole explanation of why we shouldn't play it. But it was like a random say, like, oh, you shouldn't play that. I was too young to understand and they didn't, you know, they didn't explain. So it's the same thing with these songs. The adults are hearing it, but they're not saying anything. Um, I came to Suriname through it, at graduate school. I read mm. Afro Ben's Orinoco. And that's, um, do, you, do you not, you not know that book, Orinoco? Mm. Orinoco mm -hmm. is about, it was um, written by this woman, Afro Ben. I won't go into her background, British um, playwright who was ostracized because she wanted to be a writer. And she published this book, Orinoco, in 1688. And it's a book about um, a, uh, a man. Uh, Orinoco is a, um, a character from Suriname who is a prince and he's captured and enslaved. Um, mm. And I was very intrigued because I, didn't really, I, I knew about the Dutch and the Portuguese. I didn't know the Suriname part because Suriname is not a country when they talk about um, enslaved nations. It's not kind of the, the, the big, one of the big three that comes up. So that was my mm. introduction and I had an awareness it was kind of like, you know, stored in the back of my mind. Didn't really do much with it. I mean, I did some stuff on Afro Ben in graduate school because I was intrigued by the story. And the whole point of introducing us to the story was not actually to focus on Suriname and slavery. It was really more about the long 18th century and other things. But um, at any rate, so I had this knowledge, but it just kind of sat there. I didn't really do anything with oh. it. I didn't know anyone from Suriname. Um <laughs> Until I met Norma, it's not kind of the first thing you're going to say to someone, oh, you're from Suriname, I read this book about this. <laughs> um, but there is literature out there. So let me ask you from a generational um, standpoint, is a younger generation um, eager, eager to do some of this work, so some of this unlearning? And then the second question would be, what kind of resistance do you encounter when you um, do your work? Hmm. I think the younger generation is very eager to do something with it, even, uh, and that's the same for the, the older generation who haven't done something with it before. So I think it's something that moves us across generations because we just want to have a better representation of who we are. Um, and sometimes it's just getting to know that work. Be like, oh, this is what I've been missing all this time. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like there's always, whenever we go to panel discussions or we have our presentations, you see people really, uh, people really living and people looking like, oh, this is what has been withheld from me from so, for so long. Or perhaps I only knew this name and now I'm getting the full backstory, like the full decolonial story about it. Mm. Um, and you can see that people are really, but it's sometimes maybe difficult to find if you don't have somebody pointing you in these right direction, because you're mm -hmm. not going to, you're not going to find it in a school library and you're not going to find it in, I don't know, the regular newspapers or maybe on, te on television. So if you're looking for Suriname's writers um, and you have nobody to point you in a specific direction, where would you start? Right. Um, and I feel like I feel like schools, especially high schools, um, should should pay more attention to that because it really really changes your perspective of who you are if you see your story represented in a way that it honors you basically, or at least is honest to you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And your second question was the resistance uh, that we face. Yes, the resistance. The work. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. All kinds of um, people wanting to, you know, not have their comfort zone shattered, basically. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. wanting you to, quote unquote, uh, know your place. 
people mm-hmm. saying, you know, if you don't like it here, then why don't you go back to like black people country? Mm-hmm. And um, and we we would like to think that that's only uh, the one ridiculous person on the corner of the street, but that's also people in museums. That's what a director of a school can say to you. And I feel like there's this myth of only a specific kind of person basically telling you to uh, to fall back. But it's happening on all kinds of layers. And it's it's a painful reality. And then for you to then see maybe months or years later that people are hopping on that bandwagon hmm. um, because they feel like, oh, you know, if I'm not involved in blackness, my institution is going to be less relevant. So right. let me do something uh, to get involved. And you feel like, oh, this is so insincere because I remember you. Mm-hmm. I remember, and not even I remember you, I can see how you interact on an everyday level with black people. Um, hence the question, so like, who's on your staff? Yeah. I don't care who's performing Saturday evening. I want to know, like, when you go to the job, when you go to the office on a regular Monday morning, who's sitting there? Like, who, who can call the shop? Yeah. And, uh, you know, why Dutch people have this thing? They call it, like, gezelligheid, the coziness. And everything needs to be cozy and nice, and let's not rock the boat. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but it's only let's not rock the boat for you for a particular exactly piece. yes your yeah. your lily white skull white boat yes. yeah <laughs> right and, and and a particular kind of narrative comes out of Amsterdam right the focus is on and uh, as it should it's an important part of the history but Anne Frank right if you go oh, to oh, Amsterdam yeah. the first thing I mean I was guilty you go to Amsterdam you look at the tulips and you go to the Anne Frank house. And there's nothing really said that is pertained to their black population and the history of slavery. Um, and not just for Suriname, but for um, St. Martin and, and, and other nations as well. Exactly, yeah. The amount of time our country spends on remembering and honoring the what happened in World War II um, is just... And then to know that there's this big chunk of history where you were violent yourself against another group of people. Uh, I will never forget, I was, um, we have, I think it's on May 5th, uh, and this remembrance, um, you know, to, and we stand still for a minute, like the whole country stands still. And um, I don't know if it's still being uphold, but I remember when I was young and my uncle kept walking and I was just in shock. And he was like, come on, we don't stand for this. And, you know, my dad and my uncles were Rastafarian and, like, very free. And, like, I had a hard time when I was young. I often felt embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God, these people are, like, you know, we don't have They're going to think we don't have manners. I was trying so hard to be proper. And I think back Mm. at those things, and I'm like, they were so right. And I'm glad they did those things when I was young because now that I'm older, I know how to use it. But I remember being in shock. Yeah, my uncle kept walking. And, you know, it's like this clock. It's this, uh, the clock, the bells are gonging and everything yeah, stops. Yeah. And I was so used to that. I'm like, you stop, you honor, you stand still for a minute. And my uncle was like, forget this. Absolutely. <laughs> we are walking. And I was walking like, oh, like my face was red. I just remember it. And now I'm like, I'm so proud that I walked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's more acts of And even I resistance. feel like, even if you would pause, because um, I, I also understand that, you know, you don't have to, um, I know people who pause and who say that, you know, I'm going to be quiet. So you were talking about like May, May 4th, which is the it's remembrance of, yeah, it's May, you have May 4th and May 5th. So May 4th mm-hmm. is like a remembrance of the dead and May 5th is Liberation Day. Yes. Um, so it's about like remembering the people who died in World War II. And I also know a lot of people who say, well, you know, I'm being, I'm remaining silent, or not silent, I'm being quiet 
because I'm honoring the black soldiers who also died during that war. Mm, um, so, you know, it kind of depends on why you, but for me also, I feel like if you cannot be silent on July 1st, which is the, the day that we commemorate the abolition of slavery in Suriname, you don't have to ask me if I remain quiet on May 4th. Um, because for me, one is not more important than the other. We can pay each other respect. So if this is an important day for you, I can be quiet. But if you are going to ring all your bells and honk your horns on July 1st, don't ask me nothing about the 4th of May. Mm. Um, same for Liberation Day. Like People say, oh, you know, are you not celebrating? I was like, why? Because this day goes back to 1945, um, when you know the Dutch were liberated from the Germans. But you still had colonies. The, sure the moment you celebrated your liberation, you colonized my people in Suriname. You colonized Dutch so-called Dutch territories in the Caribbean. So I'm definitely not celebrating your freedom for what? My yeah. people fought for your freedom to not get honored and to remain colonized. I have nothing to celebrate. The sad thing is, this is the same story all over the world, right? Like every mm -hmm. population can have the same. Um, some of my parents are from Jamaica, so you know it's the same story whether it's Jamaica or Barbados or Haiti. Well, Haiti's a little different, but mm -hmm. just, you know it's, it's just it's, it's the same story. So let me start up. Yes. So I'm curious, Norma, if, if you don't mind, if I can jump around a little bit. I am curious Please to do. hear yeah. about the street name. So about 20 years ago when I went home and home for me, quote, unquote, home for me is to go back to the UK. When I went home, I went to a, um, God, Ugh. 20 years ago, I participated in this program on Black London and uh, it was a summer program. I had just finished uh, graduate school, had the money, had the time. So I went home for the summer and we, as part of this school, this, it wasn't even, it was connected to Leeds University, but it wasn't, um, it was like an independent group putting on a program, mm -hmm. but it wasn't through the school. It was faculty at the school used the resources, but it had nothing to do with the school really. And anyway, the whole point of it was, we um, was a tour of Liverpool not Leeds, Liverpool. Mm. And we went around and looked at the building, primarily financial institutions who were former slaveholding corporations. And you could see not just the street names of the slaveholders, but on the actual buildings themselves, you could see in the architecture, um, like figurines, little, not figurines, but I guess like... Um, excuse my art, lack of... Sculptures? Yeah, like sculptures that were of mm -hmm. slaves or slave masters and slaves, things that people pass by every day and never paid attention to. Um, mm. And this led you, so you did this tour, you saw all these institutions, you, were, you marveled at the fact that this stuff had been here for 200, <laughs> 400 years, never, never really paid any mind to it. And then that led us to the um, slavery museum. So... I'm curious, but, but this is known only to scholars or students. Probably maybe now more people know because, as you said, Blacklist is in. And, but Liverpool's at the other end of the earth, really, for the average per black person in yeah. London. They're not going to Liverpool. Um, but it seems to me that the initiative that, that, that's happening or the initiatives that are happening in Dutch are similar with the naming of the square and then in addition, 
um, this push to change the street names. They have not changed the street names in the UK, but we do at least have the only slavery museum um, in Europe that acknowledges, you know, it's, it's small, but it's the only museum in Europe. So can you talk a little mm. bit about this push to change the street names and, and everything else that you're doing? Yeah, I think um, I recently my friend, her name is Marianne Bosma. She saw me uh, on her Twitter channel and she posted a few pictures of people renaming uh, Square in Rotterdam. And I think it happened in, if I recall correctly, I think it was like 1970, 1980, something like this. Um, so it has been like a, a work in the making, so to say. And for example, with the Anton de Combe plane that was getting renamed. Um, I think we now have the luxury of technology mm. where we can amplify our pushes to mm. change a name. Um, mm. So I think the Dutch have a different culture with regards to statues. Mm-hmm. There, there are statues here, but for example, not as much as, or at least I don't see them as much, as for example, if you would go to um, Belgium, where you would have statues of King Leopold on mm. almost every street corner. Mm. Um, that's something I'm not used to in the Netherlands, and maybe it, the cities I've, I've been to, but um, I think here it's more about the street names than this about the statues, because we have more street names than um, street names to worry about than, than the actual statues. Thank you for listening, guys. Unfortunately, we had to cut the interview short due to technical difficulties. But as you can see, there was a lot of food for thought. And once again, we'd like to thank Simone for coming on at Black Girls with Accents and speaking with us about the work that she's doing in museums in the Netherlands. You can reach Simone on Twitter at singbaktu. That's at S-I-M-B-U-K-T-U. Or on Instagram at LazyFuik, L-A-Z-E-E-F-U-I-K. As always, you can reach Black Girls with Accents at Black Girls with Accents and on Twitter and other social media platforms. Thank you from Norma and I, Mila.